We're thankful to be here this morning. We're thankful for everyone who made an effort to come out this morning. Uh, we're, we're thankful if you made an effort just to bring your kids or bring your grandkids or bring yourselves. Uh, Sunday school is important, and the older I get, the more I realize how important Sunday school is uh, and how thankful I am for it. Uh, we don't have a lot on our heart this morning, uh, but we'll ask Brother Chris Rosell dismiss us to Sunday school. Well, it's good to be here this morning. Appreciate everybody for coming out. And uh, Brother Carl asked me last week if I'd take a look at this and consider teaching it. And I, so I told him I hated to tell him no. He does such a, a good job, and I respect him so much. And But I know teaching week after week after week, year after year, it's nice occasionally to to sit out there. And so I appreciate him. So desire your prayers this morning. We're going to be in uh, Romans, fourth chapter. And uh, so, uh, as I often do, I want to try to give you a, a little background uh, on where things were at, what was going on in the time. Uh, of course, uh, Apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans. And um, so, it's interesting reading the commentaries. And I've got two or three commentaries that I read. and. Uh, when I'm trying to get ready to teach or if I'm studying, uh, the Sunday school commentary that they send us is okay and you know has some good points in it from time to time. There's a couple other ones that I read. Uh, it's interesting that uh, the book of Romans, by the the people that study the scriptures and I guess the the you know the educated theologians, they consider the book of Romans to be Apostle Paul's masterpiece, and they even call it that several times. This was a letter written by Apostle Paul to the church that was in Rome, and we'll talk about a little bit why he wrote this in a minute, but that, you know, it was inspired by God, and all scripture is. I mean, I believe that every uh, thing that we've got in the King James Bible, I believe, was inspired by God to the men that wrote it, and they wrote it 
you know, based upon God directing them. The same way as if you were sitting here this morning and God says, get up and sing a song or get up and say, I'm glad God saved me or, you know, whoever gets up to preach after a while. Uh, if any of that gets anywhere, it has to be inspired by God. It has, God has to put that on your heart to do that. And then he has to bless it, and God certainly blessed the scripture. But uh, it's, you know, the book of Romans is very eloquently written. I, I mean, when you read it, even though it's in, you know, the old English, uh, some of the, the, the phraseology of it is beautiful. So, so what's going on here? Why, uh, what's going on in, the, in and around in the area, and why did God inspire Paul to write it? In 47, so this was just like we count years now, we're, we're after Christ was here. So we're now in 2021. So you go all the way back to 47. There was an emperor in Rome named Claudius. And Claudius got fed up with the Jews and the Gentiles. Now these were primarily at this time, all of these people uh, believed in Christ all right, so the, the, the Jews who didn't believe in Christ really didn't cause too much of a problem, but the Jews who believed in Christ, believed that he was the Messiah, and the Gentiles, which is everybody that's not a Jew and not, not following the Jewish faith, I mean, that's who that's describing, that believed in Christ, had a major conflict. And Claudius got fed up with them, and he threw them all out of Rome. He said, get out. And later on in Romans, uh, Paul even talks about some of that. Uh, Priscilla uh, was one of, or, or no, I'm sorry, Aquila was one of the people that he talks about that were in that spot, and, and they had to leave Rome, and they went someplace else, and he met them, and, and they, made, they were tent makers, and he was a tent maker. So they worked together out of Rome, but that was a conflict. Well, by the time that Romans is written, there is a new emperor uh, in Rome, and it's Nero, or Nero, N-E-R-O, and the, the Jews and the Christians are allowed back into Rome, but there's still a conflict going on there between them. And so what's the conflict? Well, the conflict is the Jews who believed in Christ still wanted to hold everybody to the old law, the Levitical law. And the Gentiles didn't think they should have to come under that. They didn't want to do that. So let me ask this question. Do you think that during the time that the Jews were following the law prior to Christ, do you think that the Spirit of God ever moved when they were in the temple worshiping? I had never thought about that. A few years ago when Denny Hunter was still here, he taught a Sunday school class out in the, in the fellowship hall. And he was talking about that, and he said they, were, they had all these requirements that they had to do, and I'm glad we don't have all those requirements. I'm glad we don't have to follow all of those Levitical law. If you read through it, boy, it would be, a, it would be difficult. And, I mean, I have a hard enough time getting up and getting here sometimes, more or less going through all those requirements that they had to make. But when they would do all of those things and then go to the temple to worship, I believe God's spirit would move. All right, Because God's spirit was certainly back there. So if you think about it from that perspective, so here is these Jewish people, and they 
are going to the temple and worshiping and God's spirit is moving. And then all of a sudden they're told, well, there's this major change. And so they say, well, okay, well, we believe Christ is the Messiah, but we still want to hold on to these things that we used to do because, boy, God's spirit moved real good in that when we used to do that. Okay, can you think of anything similar to that in recent times here? I can. Albert Street Church, all right? We had a great church over at Albert Street. been 24 years ago now. We left there and came here. But when we came here, I don't know if anybody else remembers it, but there was a little concern and, you know, people were excited about the new church, but is God going to really bless us here in this big new building like he used to over there at Albert Street? I don't know if anybody else remembers that, but I heard those comments. Are we going are, are to be able to have old-time shouting meetings like we did over there? And, and are people going to feel comfortable to come up to the altar in this big church? Well, the answer is yes. But if you kind of compare that, you, you, you kind of see the, you know, what they're going through a little bit. So there's this conflict between the two of them. And they're, I mean, they literally get into some physical altercations and fights over this. There's a major disagreement. Something else to keep in mind is, uh, you know, good saved people can get in their natural mind right here in the church and disagree about things. Fortunately, we don't have a lot of that, you know, very much at all that I'm aware of now. But Carl and Ronnie and Bill and some of them can tell you about some times, you know, years ago when that happened not in this church building that we've got here, but it happened with this church congregation. So that can always happen, and that's you know that could happen this week if we're not careful. Uh, you know, we could have a big you know misunderstanding. But so they did, and uh, Paul wasn't in Rome, and to my knowledge, had not been to th these churches or this church. I think there was probably more than one congregation, but he wrote it to all of them. I don't think he had been to visit those churches since they had been established. He did not establish them physically. Um, but he is in Corinth, in Greece, which is about 615 miles away. And I think he's headed there. His intent was to go there. He ended up and didn't go right after he wrote this letter. He, he went another direction. But he's there in the winter of 56 and 57. So this is, you know, about 12 years after uh, that uh, Claudius had, had kicked the Jews and the Christians out. They're back in Rome and they're back there worshiping. So he decides and God inspires him to write this letter to the people in Rome. About, do you need to follow that old law or are you okay not to follow that law? Now, the symbolism and what they talk about, part of that law was being circumcised. If you were male, you needed to be circumcised. It was, a, it was symbolic of following that entire law, okay? And Brother Carl helped me Wednesday night. We were talking a little bit about this, and we'll get to it in a minute. We've got something under the grace plan, which is what we're under now. They, were, you know, they had just come out of the law plan. We've got something under grace that makes a great example of that, and we'll get to it as we get on down into these scriptures. So that's kind of... Uh, where we're at, hopefully that sets the stage a little bit for you so you can see, uh, you know, 
why and, and where and, and kind of what Paul's uh, thinking was when he writes this. So I want to start, we're going to back up into, into chapter 3. We're going to read one verse, the last verse, verse 31 in chapter 3. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. So he's telling them right there. I mean, that's a major statement. The law isn't void. We haven't done away with the law. It's really just being satisfied by our faith in Jesus Christ. That's what it takes to satisfy. The, but, you know, Jesus' grace allows us to do that. So that's why I say we're under the grace plan now. But the law is still there. I mean, the law hasn't been done away with. Paul said someplace else the law was, was true and just and good. So the law isn't done away with. Christ satisfied the law so that we don't have to walk under those natural precepts that they did back then. So let's now look at uh, chapter 4. Does anybody have any comments before we go on into this? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, God, there, there aren't very many things that God has ever asked me to do that didn't make me uncomfortable a little bit. Um, and if you don't have that, a little bit of a level of uncomfortable or apprehension, Better check it, because uh, good chance it might be Blaine thinking, boy, that'd be a good idea rather than God inspiring me. But uh, I appreciate you saying that. Anybody else before we go on into this? something yeah I remember that that's neat yeah you know that and I remember even back to the day we broke ground out here Mike um, you know God moved so powerful uh, he moved powerful in the business meeting when we voted to come over here he moved powerful the day we broke ground there were several good times of feeling the Lord when like you said, this place in here didn't look anything like it does now. It was metal on the walls, and uh, but God, you know, he made made us sure. You know, he, I didn't have any doubt, uh, but I just like Bonnie said, yeah, I mean, you know, people didn't know should they come up and come across and shake hands up here or stay down there. I mean, it just, just a different place, so it just took a little bit different, but uh, it just shows you. God is not in a building. Uh, he came with us, was here before we ever got here, you know. And it didn't matter if you came up on the stage and shook hands with the choir or they all come down. All that stuff, you know, I mean, it's important, but it really isn't the important thing. It's right here. So, all right, let's look at uh, verse 1 here in, uh, in chapter 4. <clears throat> 
So keep in mind, he's writing this to try to explain both to the Jews and the Gentiles that are having this conflict that you don't have to, you're not special because you're a Jew and the law doesn't give you some, some step up and, and make you better because you've, you've lived that law before. This is all through Christ and, and we don't have to continue, you know, doing those things under the law and you don't need to make people, require people to do that. So, what shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? So he's saying, well, let's consider Abraham. Uh, you know, he's the father of the faith. All the Jews wanted to go back and say, and several times throughout the scriptures, would say, well, I can tra trace my lineage back to Abraham. I'm special. Okay, well, it's good that they could trace their lineage back to Abraham, and if they, and I will say this, when they say, well, we, you know, we, we followed the law. Well, they tried to follow the law, and they did some of the things of the law, but nobody followed the law perfectly. If they had, Christ wouldn't have needed to come and been our sacrifice. So while they say, well, we followed the law, what they were really saying was, we did some of the law except for when we didn't. You know, right? So same thing. I mean, I tried to live right this week, and I lived right except for when I didn't, okay? And everybody in here, to some degree, can say that. And, I, and I'm not, you know, throwing off on anybody, but none of us are perfect. So, for if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. He's saying, if Abraham did it, and it was just because Abraham you know, followed the law, then Abraham could have stood up and smote himself on the chest and said, Booyah, look at me. You know, look at here what I did. For what saith the scripture? So then, you know, he's, 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 he's kind of laid this out there. He's, he's set a, the bait out there and saying, okay, you want to talk about Abraham? Let's see what the Bible says. Let's see what the scripture says about Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Well, that sums it all up right there. I mean, you could stop right there and, I mean, he's made his point. He goes on, but uh, the thing I love about this particular verse, the term in here counted is, is it was transcribed from an accounting term. All right. So everybody, I know Roy did some accounting, and everybody else has balanced a checkbook at the very least, uh, or probably looked at. When, when I was in college, we had to do a little bit of that. They would, you would have a, a balance sheet or a profit and loss statement, and you know every month you would tally how much money came in and how much money goes out, and then you would balance that up, and you would say, well, okay, well we made a hundred dollars profit. Or we went in the hole a hundred dollars. All right. So Paul here, in the in the word that he's using, is telling them that Abraham believed God, and that belief in God was what balanced his balance sheet. Okay. It was counted to him for righteousness. God gave him God's righteousness so that Abraham was okay. And I love that, it, it, you know, I mean, and I've read this a bunch of times, but when you think about it from an accounting 
position, it just makes it, I don't know, a little bit more special to me when I realized that. So, um, does anybody have any comments on that? All right, we'll go on to four. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. So, he's talking about somebody that's trying to obtain salvation through works, all right? So I want to make that clear. In this example, he's not talking about, gee, we don't need to do work for God after we're saved. He's talking about the salvation experience, okay? So he's saying, if you are working it and trying to satisfy salvation by what you can do, then you haven't received grace. All you've really received is a debt because you're still in the hole. You can't work good enough to satisfy the requirements of the law. You can't work yourself into heaven. Now, again, after we're saved, and that's not what he's talking about here, but after we're saved, God requires something of us. And if we want to be blessed, then we need to do some things. We need to try to live right. We need, when he gives us something to do, just like we were talking about earlier, when you get that uncomfortable feeling and it's time to get up and sing a song or testify or invite somebody to church that's, you know, boy, that's a hard one because I don't know them real good or maybe they won't come or maybe they won't like it. If they, any of those things, then we've got to do that. But here it's talking about trying to obtain salvation through works. So, so he's saying God gave Abraham in an accounting term, gave him righteousness, and that's really what got Abraham over the hump. And if you're counting on you, if you're counting on trying to work yourself there, you're going to come up short. You're going to end up with a debt. You know, uh, the old song that they used to sing, I had a, a debt that I couldn't pay, and he paid a debt that he didn't owe. Well, that, you know, that fits real good right here. So, so verse 5. But to him that worketh not, so again, talking about salvation. So he's, he's saying to the person that doesn't try to obtain salvation through the law, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So he's saying you can be just like Abraham. Don't try to work it out through the law. Do what Abraham did. Put your faith in God. And God will count it to you for righteousness as well. Um, and so, um, again, the word counted, same root word. It's, it's all he's talking accounting terms here to him. So he's made this point by talking about Abraham. So does anybody have any comments before we move on or any questions? Okay. So he talks about Abraham in this accounting term for just a little bit. So... When Paul's writing this, it had been approximately 2,000 years since Abraham. Okay? So he jumps forward now in the next couple, two or three verses, he jumps forward 1,000 years. And he talks about David. David is about 1,000 years before Paul's writing this. Okay? So even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputed righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. 
Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. So this is actually uh, coming from, if you go back, if you want to, you can go back into Psalms if I can find it. I've got it marked here if I didn't move my mark. I think it's Psalms 32. Let me go back there just real quick. Which is a psalm that uh, David had written. Yep, it's Psalms 32. So Psalms 32, we won't read the whole psalm. It's 11 verses. But you can see there Psalms 32 and 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom... The Lord imputeth not iniquity, and whose spirit there is no guile. Um, and there was one more verse in here. I was going to see if I could find. One of the verses on down in there, and I'm, I, I can't find it. I thought I had it marked, but I must have moved my mark. But one of the verses in there is talking about David goes on and says uh, that you have to repent in order to get, you have to repent, put your faith in God, essentially, uh, to get to where that that's at, where that that righteousness will be imputed. So he's, he's set up pretty good here through the first eight verses that it's not of works, it's believing in God and trusting in his righteousness. And so um, in verse 9 he kind of shifts his focus. And he's, he's kind of laid the foundation of what he's wanting to tell them in this chapter. And in verse 9, he kind of changes the focus and starts making a, a point back to the Jews that are wanting to follow the law about and goes back to Abraham and, and makes some great points here. Uh, so let's, let's get on into that. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only? So he's talked about this, this, this blessing that people can get. Being saved is what he's talking about. I mean, salvation, uh, believing in, in Christ. I mean, this is in 56 and 57. That's how close to Christ that this is. We're now at 2021. It's the same thing. People come here, listen. Preacher gets up, hopefully the gospel will go out and tell them, if you want to be saved, you got to believe in Christ. That's the way to be saved. You can't do it yourself. You can't put enough money in. You, whatever that you're doing, what, it's not good enough. You've got to put your, your trust in Christ. And so remember when we started, I was, I was telling you that there was this, this argument about do we need to follow the law? We've all believed in Jesus, but do we need to still follow the law? Or are we okay to not do that? And circumcision is the, is the representation of following the law. So what he's really asking here is, so can you get saved without following the law? Or do you still have to follow the law in order to be saved? Is that part of it? So cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also? That's a question. For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. So he says, it wasn't the law that saved Abraham. It was his faith. 
How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? So he's saying, was Abraham following the law when he got saved? Because he knew all of these folks had the books and were familiar with Abraham's story. And when Abraham believed God, it was later that God then delivered the law to him and told him, okay, here's the way I want you to live. I want you to separate yourself from the world and live this way because you've been saved. God didn't say, okay, Abraham, here's the law. Live this way. And if you live this way for a year or five years or however long, then I'll save you and you'll be separated from the world. See? They had it backwards. They were wanting to put all their confidence in the natural thing and not pay any attention to the faith. So, how was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in circumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had, yet being uncircumcised. So he got saved, and then God delivered the law to him and told him how to live. So, what's the example that we have that it fits just, and, and Carl helped me with this the other night. I, I give him uh, credit on this because I hadn't seen it yet uh, and may not have seen it. But we've got something, when we get saved, what do we do that, that fits just like this? Baptistry right here behind me. We're going to have a baptism next Sunday. You know, our pastor, every time somebody gets saved, he'll say, the first thing you need to do after you get saved is get baptized. So, does baptism save you? Is it required to be dunked in water in order to go to heaven? If Abraham, after he believed in God, and God imputed righteousness into him, and then God delivered the law to him, if Abraham would have looked at that law and said, nah, that's too hard, I don't think I'm going to do that. What's the condition of his soul? He's saved. He got saved when God imputed righteousness. When I got saved, God imputed righteousness. I'm saved. Now, Abraham's life and Abraham's family and all of the people that Abraham impacted, which is a big number, would have all been hurt terribly had Abraham not followed what God told him to do and just, you can just say it this way, lived right. Okay? Well, same thing with us. If I get saved and feel like joining the church and go, eh, their rules are pretty strict there at that church. Now, I can't go do this or do that. They expect me to be there pretty regular and they don't want me to drink alcohol and I can't do this or that. I don't think I'll join. I'm still saved. I'm still going to heaven. But I'm not having a positive impact. I won't say you're not having an impact because you are. You're either having a positive impact on the people around you or you're having a negative impact on the people around you. I'm not having a positive impact if I don't go get baptized 
and then start trying to live right on a weekly basis. All right. So am I saying I'm perfect? You perfect, Jay? You think I'm perfect? You've been around me enough. I know you know I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes every day, every week. Uh, you know, have to say, God, forgive me. You know, I wanna, I'll try to do better. But I'm making an effort, and I'm not, I haven't just set it off to the side and said, okay, well, I'm not going to pay any attention to that. But I'm not perfect. Nobody in here is, so don't get the feeling that you are. Now, down on the inside, that part that God has put his righteousness in, that part's perfect. But this guy you look at, I make mistakes every day. You don't have to look real hard. If you follow, you get a private investigator and follow me around, you'll find a bunch of them. Okay. So, and he received the sign of circumcision. This is verse 11. A seal of righteousness of the faith which he had, yet being uncircumcised. That ye might be, that I'm sorry, that he might be the father of all them that believe. So, see, Paul's telling him right here, if he didn't then accept that law and live like God told him to live, he wouldn't have had the impact on everybody that he's had like he, like he did. Though they be not circumcised, the righteousness might be imputed unto them also. So he did that so that people would see he's set apart and different than everybody else. People ought to be able to look at you and see a difference in your life if they're around you very much and go, that person isn't like everybody else. They don't use bad language. They don't you know, tell bad jokes. They don't go out to the bar on Friday night and have a drink with everybody else like the rest of the office does. You know, there's something different about them. People ought to be able to tell. If people can't tell after being around you for a while then you're doing something wrong because people will notice. People will notice because you will condemn them for how they're acting. Your life will condemn them. And they won't like it. I've experienced it. You guys all have too. People will treat you bad, make fun of you, try to get you to do the wrong thing because what you're doing and the way you're walking should be condemning them for what they're doing and they don't like feeling condemned. So they'll... They'll attack you. Not everybody will, but some people will. So when that happens, count that for joy because you've done something right if, that, you know, if that's happening. And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. So he's telling them, he got it and then followed the law and lived that way. You don't, now we're under the grace, a, a new plan. The law is still there. It's not been done away with, but you don't have to follow those strict requirements under the law in order to have fellowship with God after you've been saved. I want to go ahead and read uh, verse 13, for I, I thought this was so good. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, 
but through the righteousness of faith. And again, that, uh, that just kind of goes back to that verse 31. I mean, they kind of tie together almost as bookends. Um, it wasn't because of what he did naturally. It was because of what God did for him spiritually. And then there's a requirement for him and us to try to follow God. So what comments do you have? Hopefully that, that makes sense to you. Any comments or any questions about any of that? Got one more verse I want to read, and it's in Romans 6 and verse 23, which is the last verse of that chapter. So this is back to uh, talking about when we were in, I think, maybe verse 3 or 4, we were talking about wages, and if you're trying to work your way in, so this, this makes it real clear, and I love this. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Our righteousness, filthy rags, nothing good about it, but the righteousness that God will impute to us if we will believe on him is the gift of life unto eternal life. Anybody else have anything? And you'll have that inside. Now, if you if you go against it and go against it and go against it and go against it, you can kind of get calloused. I mean, God isn't just going to keep hitting you over the head and saying, "Don't do that." Don't. But you'll have that. That's inside. I mean, you'll you'll know. But that's a great point. Man's laws don't line up everywhere with God's law, and. There's a lot of things that man will say is fine to do, go right ahead. But it, you know, again, Abraham was required to be separated and look different than everybody around him. And so, so are we. We should be a peculiar people. Becky will tell you I'm peculiar, but that ain't what that means. Our actions should be peculiar to the world. And uh, if our actions aren't peculiar to the world, if we look just like they do at the office, at the ballpark, at the gym, if we look just like they do and do everything just like they do, how will they ever know, boy, Maybe there's something different. Maybe there's something good over here because they are doing something different than the way I've ever seen it before. Our life needs to be a testimony. If it's not, we're doing something wrong. Good comment. Anybody else?
All right, Brother Carl will be back at it next Sunday. So come back and hear him. Thank you for your attention and your comments.